You know, we're here today to celebrate uh, really the greatest day in history. There's really no debate about this. Time literally splits by this moment. You know, and there's so much about this day. You know, the other day I was watching... Uh, a little sports documentary thing about, you know, it was about this basketball team from about 40 years ago. And, you know, they were kind of bragging about how they were the best team that had never won a championship. And I'm like, well, that's real convenient to say now because you didn't win, you know, but I don't know that there's really much doubt about this really truly being the greatest day in history. It's it split time. I mean, there's before Jesus, there's after Jesus, I mean, we've, even our calendar is dated around the significance of this moment. And so we celebrate today as Easter being what? The day that Jesus rose from the grave. And the, the best news of all is that Jesus being resurrected was not just for him. His resurrection is also our resurrection. And it's important that we understand and that we remember. I mean, I don't know if you remember this, but a year ago, we couldn't even be in this room together. I was speaking to a camera. I mean, isn't this better? Isn't it better being together? You know, well, why do we gather? Why do we come together? It's because of of this man, Jesus, and what he has done in our life. And, And not only did it change the course of the calendar, but it's changed the course of our life as well. It's made a difference in us. And so today we celebrate that Jesus, our Savior, what? He rose from the grave. If Jesus would have just died and stayed in the tomb, he would have just been a martyr. There's lots of people who are martyred for lots of things. The thing that sets Jesus apart is that he rose. He got out of the grave. Amen. And that's significant. You know, at one point when they were, when the religious elites of their day were trying to figure out what to do with Jesus, one of them actually said, hey, why don't we just let this thing run its course? Why don't we just, because look, there's been others that have come before him. Hey, they all died. This, these things just, they kind of, these little, uh, whatever you want to call them, insurrections would rise up and, and, you know, but they all died and they're like, but, and he, he made the statement though. He had enough sense to say, what if this is the Lord? He said, look, time's going to prove it out. If he just makes these claims of who he is and nothing happens, nothing happens. And it won't be that long and everybody will forget about it. Well, here we are 2,000 years plus later still talking about it. So needless to say, Jesus is not a martyr. Jesus is the Savior. He's the risen one. And so that's why we celebrate today. And so what are we celebrating? We're, we're celebrating that, that Jesus, what, triumphed over the devil. Everybody gets freaked out about the devil. I've got good news. He's already been defeated. It doesn't mean that we don't have to deal with him. What we actually have to do is just keep him in his place. You got to keep him in check a little bit. And we don't have to be afraid of him. As a matter of fact, the Bible goes as far as to say that when everybody stands before God, they're going to look at the devil and be like, is that the one? That everybody was so freaked out about the one who had terrorized nations and done, that's him? That's what the Bible says. And yet the, here it, it says that what? That when Jesus rose up out of the grave, that he triumphed over the devil. He triumphed over all the powers of darkness. And, and here's where it gets personal for us. It says that he was the firstborn of many who would be called righteous. Isaiah 53 verse 11 tells us this. He says, because of his experience, talking about Jesus. Now, this, is, this was spoken or written 700 years before Jesus even had come on the earth. 
The prophet Isaiah wrote and he says, because of his experience, being Jesus' experience, he says, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. For he will bear all, everybody say all, all of their sins. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me feel pretty good. Because it's not just like my petty sins, like even my big sins, even the ones that are embarrassing, the ones I would never hope anybody would ever find out about kind of thing. And it says that what, that Jesus what, would pay the price for all of my sins so that what? So that I could be called righteous just as Jesus is righteous. So that you could be called righteous. You're like, well, what does that word righteous mean? It literally means that you're in right standing with God. In other words, God's not looking to settle scores with anybody. He already has settled the score in Jesus. He's not looking to pay you back. He's not looking, you know, you ever had that experience like when you were a kid and you weren't quite sure how you did in a class and you're just like dreading the report card? Like, I remember when I was in school that they used to just give us our report cards and we would take them home, right? And those report cards sometimes just didn't quite make it home. And, uh, and then they changed it on me and they started mailing them and that was a bad day. And uh, the best day of my life was when they took conduct off of the grade of my report card. Hallelujah. I found some freedom. And because, uh, shocker, I got in trouble for talking in class. And uh, it's like, he won't be quiet. And uh, so here I am today, you know. And uh, go figure. But look, God is not, you know, but we can feel that way. Even thinking about, man, like when I stand before God, let me ask you a question. How do you feel? Like with that thought? Is there anxiousness in your heart? Like, oh gosh, that's scary. Or is it, man, I can't wait. Because that right there tells you how you view yourself. If you look at God with fear, it tells you you don't understand that you've been made the righteousness of God because of Jesus. It's just the truth. It's it's the reality of it. But we have no reason to be afraid to stand before the Lord. Why? Because we've been completely forgiven. Doesn't mean that we're perfect. We'll never be perfect. That's not the goal. The goal is not to be perfect. It's to be what Christ-like. To be like him. As a matter of fact, the, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, the Bible actually tells us, if the devil had known what would happen when Jesus went to the grave, because the devil thought, game over, it's done, seal up the, the grave, done deal. Before Jesus went into the grave, he only had one problem. Which was Jesus. When Jesus was resurrected and life came to what? Millions upon millions upon millions of people. He had a much bigger problem on his hands. It would have been, and the Bible actually tells us, if he had known or understood what God was doing, he would have never allowed Jesus to die the death on the cross and to go to the grave. Why? Because the Bible says that, he, that when Jesus was resurrected, he what, took, took the keys And really, when it says keys, it means the authority of hell and of death and of the grave is that Jesus says, I now own these, not the devil, not the enemy. He says that he now owns it. And so the story of Easter is really not complicated. We try to make it complicated. And look, as a pastor, I want to come up with some new slick angle that you're like, man, I've never heard Easter like that before. And be impressed. Like, that's great. But at the core of it, Easter is simple. It's not complicated. And it has real meaning. It's more than just a service that we attend, a story that we read. This is something that is life-changing, life-altering, like course of your entire life is changed because you come in contact with this man, Jesus. 
That's what we celebrate with Easter. And so, yes, I always want to try to, to, to communicate in a way that is understandable, in a way that people can grab hold of. But at the very core, at its most basic, Easter is simple. It really is. It's not complicated. Well, why do we gather together and why do we worship and why do people lift their hands and worship and why do people sing and why do people cry and why do people respond in this way? Because they've had an encounter with God. But all of that's not possible without Easter. Without Friday, there is no Sunday. And Friday had to happen. It had to. There's no way around it. You're like, well, why did it have to happen? Because it's the way God said it had to be. Because sin demanded a response. And God knew that we could never measure up for that. And so Jesus had to come. And so really, at at, at its core, Easter is about what? It's about without Christ's sacrifice that we have no way... Not a single avenue, not a single resource, not an alternate route. There would be no way to come into relationship with our heavenly father. Not one. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man can come to the father except through me. I don't think that leaves much room for question. There's one path, one way, and it is Jesus. Let me say it this way. All the others who have raised up out of the grave can get in line behind Jesus. But there are none. He's the one. He, he's the only one who made the claim of being the Son of God and backed it up with proof. But see, this is where it gets personal for us. Is that and so? The, 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 without Christ's sacrifice, there's no way for us to get to God, to get into relationship with God, to be called righteous. But because of Christ's sacrifice, we now have full access you've got a full access path pass to everything that jesus was that god is that jesus is today he's not withholding anything back from us at all every promise in the word of god is available right now why because the the blood and the body of christ say that they're available that the price has been paid and so this is the story of easter in, in ephesians chapter 3 and verse 12 There's two elements here. Because Easter is not just about what Jesus has done. Easter is also about our response to what Jesus has done. And that's an important element. And I want you to see this today. In Ephesians 3.12 it says, Because of Christ and our faith in him. See, it's not just enough that Jesus died the death of the cross and went to the grave and was resurrected. We also have to put our faith and our trust and our hope in him. Because there's a lot of people who have never experienced the power of Christ in their life. And it doesn't change the fact that yes, he was on a cross and yes, he was risen from the grave. But it's when we put our faith and our trust and our hope in him that the rest of this verse happens. So because of what Christ has done, because of our faith and our hope and our trust in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. I don't have to shy away, pull away. I don't have to be overly concerned about how have I done this week. God is not keeping a report card on me saying, yeah, not this week, David. Come back next week. Let's try again. Let's do a do-over. Good try, but you didn't quite make it. No, he says, even on my worst weeks, come on in. 
Where's your pass? Oh, it's Jesus. It's my all-access pass. There's nothing that God has or desires to do that's not available to us. When what? When we put our faith and our trust in God. So what is the presence of God? I mean, when we, when we say that, like, it gives me full access to the presence of God. What is that exactly? Here's a few things. It's not an exhaustive list, but a few things. I believe the presence of God is the fullness of his grace. Grace lets me know I'm accepted even when I feel like I'm not. Grace says, you don't have to be good enough. I accept you. That's what grace is. The fullness of God's grace. You know, grace is getting what you don't deserve. Like the goodness of God, I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. The Bible says we, we're all sinful people except for Jesus. See, just like I talked about earlier, that, there was, uh, that, we, that the, the calendar of time is split upon Jesus. Well, the calendar of my life is split into two as well. And it wasn't church that changed me. It was Jesus that changed me. Jesus changed my life. He changed my heart. He changed my desires. Things began to happen when what? Not when I had heard about Jesus, but when I encountered him. Amen. It's very different. And I had to come to a place, and I'm still learning. I mean, I, I agree with what Paul said. Look, I've not yet achieved, but man, I'm pressing on. I, I want to grow, and I want to develop, and, and I want to be who God's created me and called me and saved me to be. And I'm not there yet, but you know what? I'm way past from where I started, and I know that. Amen. And so I want to keep moving forward. So it's the fullness of his grace, his, his presence. It's the fullness of God's, you can say it this way, of God's acceptance. There's nothing between you and God. If you, if you accept Jesus, there's nothing between you and him. It's the fullness of his power and his ability. We have full access without limitation. The Bible tells us that we can, what, run to the throne of grace, that we can, what, find help when we need it. That's what Hebrews says. That we not, like, kind of go and beg God. I don't have to beg God. I don't have to pray 5,000 prayers for God to work. No, in Jesus, the answer is yes. Why? Because it's already been paid for us. So I want to re I, I, I rewind for a moment here and talk about why this is such a big deal. Because I, 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 I have a concern, if you will, that sometimes we can almost get lulled to sleep because all we know is the grace of God. Like, I mean, I've heard about it my entire life. I only live on one side of the split of the calendar. All I know is about that God loves me and that God, but, but let me do a little quick survey. A little crowd participation here would help. How many of you can remember the days like without the internet? Show of hands. I was shocked that I actually remembered this in the first service. But how many of you remember the Dewey Decimal System? Like, you had to go, like, let, let me inform some of you younger po folks who just know the internet. You used to, to do research, you had to go to this place called the library. And so you would walk in the doors of this room full of books. And it's like, well, which way do I go? So you went to this little cabinet. Most times, several cabinets had all these little drawers. You had to go pull it out. And you had to pull out this little index card. And it says, go to aisle B42, shelf 34. It's going to be right here. And so you go down there. You go find your book. You go find your book. And you take this big stack of books. And you go sit at a table because you couldn't leave with them. Or they're going to charge you for it. How many of you got some overdue books still? I'm going to pray for your forgiveness. 
And you had to sit down and research and write all this stuff out and then take the books and put them back and they'd go put them back. Now today we just like Google it. Just get on the internet. Got a wealth of knowledge right here. Fingertips. I mean the phone in our pocket is more powerful than the first computer that was ever built that was the size of a room. And we carry that right just on our hip in our pocket in our purse. and It's just with us. How many of you remember a time like before cell phones? Like I remember my dad had a bag phone. I thought, ooh, we rich. Like daddy got a phone in the truck, you know, and I thought, man, this is fancy. Like, you know, like 007 stuff. And, you know, and I remember that it was like, I don't remember exactly, but I want to say it was like a dollar or two a minute. And it was like somebody better be dead or in the emergency room if you call me. But I thought it was so cool. I was like, my dad's got a bag phone. Some of y'all like a bag phone. It's like a backpack with a cell phone in it. Like, you know, basically. How about this one? How many of you remember the days where you had to leave a message for somebody on their answering machine? And you might get a call back in a few days. Like now we get mad because you're like, Why? You, you read my text. Why didn't you respond to me? Right? I mean, like we're so impatient. But, you know, there's a whole generation that know nothing about that. I mean, like, I mean, me and Dare have been married for this year will be uh, 18 years. We've never had a home phone ever in my life. My kids would be like, what's a home phone? Like a phone with a cord on it. My sister had, a, one of my sisters had a phone, like when she was probably 15, she was going to be big and independent. She decided she's going to get her own line. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Get your own line. Yeah. And it had like this 30 foot cord on it. So she could go, like, I mean, she'd go everywhere in that thing. She's just walking around on the phone. You know, my kids are going to be like, a home phone? What are you talking about? They have no idea. Now, this is one that's a little more personal to me. How many of you had a a CD portable Walkman? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And you actually had to put a CD in it. Like, and even better than that is how many of you had this, the, like the three ring binder size book of CDs? Like, I mean, the Joker weighed like 40 pounds. You're like, oh my gosh, it's heavier in my backpack. But, and you know, and you, you buy that album for that one song. Like kids these days don't even know the struggle. They're like, I got a billion songs at my fingertips. I just get it whenever I want. I could go even further back. And how many of you remember when it was just records? Had your 45s and your 8-tracks even. How many of you had 8-tracks in your car? That's what I'm talking about. Vintage. It's coming back. It's cool. I'm telling you. Anything vintage is cooler. No, but see, we, we have these things, but the thing is that happens is that even us who, un, who, who have these connections to things, we can so readily and easily get frustrated because we've taken for granted all of the things that we have. I mean, we can remember just six months ago being without, like, internet. And everybody's up in arms, everybody's ticked off. And I'm like, there was a day we lived without the internet. And it's like, I can't even function. And I was one of those complaining. (laughs) In full disclosure. Like, this is stupid. The internet should never go down. Give me a satellite phone. You know, I mean, it's just like, but what happens is that when we only experience one side of the story, we can tend to take it for granted too. 
And so we, sometimes it can be hard for us to make a connection to what life was like before Christ. Because all we know is one side of the story. All we know is the goodness and the grace of God. And we're like, man, if I mess up, I just ask for forgiveness and God's good and he'll forgive me. But that wasn't the way it always was. Throughout the Old Testament, we see this. And, and so let me give you the backstory of really the Old Testament, if you will. So you could say that it was before Jesus came. This was the way God interacted with man. Is that we know that Adam and Eve were put into the Garden of Eden a perfect place, and they sin. Now, how they sin, that's a great mystery. I, I, it's a great question. I don't have an answer for you. But the Bible says that they sinned, and God had told them. He had given them a commandment and said, hey, you can eat of all the trees in the garden, but just not that one. Say, so, well, that seems mean. Why did God set them up for failure? He didn't. He wanted them to have a choice. He didn't want robots. He wanted people. So to have a choice means you have to have a choice, Right? But he told them, he said, if you ever, he told Adam specifically, if you ever eat the, the fruit of that tree, in the original language it says, in dying you will die. Well, we know that when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit in the garden, that they didn't drop dead. So what was God talking about there when he made that statement? Now, literally what it means is that they would die spiritually. That where their heart had been responsive and open and could experience the goodness and the grace and the fellowship of God, now they were removed. Now there was distance between them and God. And so they had become what spiritually dead, completely disconnected from God. So their experience where it had been life-giving and wonderful and amazing was now reduced to just rituals and rules and regulations. Instead of this dynamic relationship that God wanted. That's what God had created man for. And so humanity would try, specifically we see in the Old Testament, the children of Israel would try their hardest and, and do the best that they could to try to live according to the Ten Commandments that we know. But you know, there are also over 800 rules as well. We think the Ten is hard. That's just the highlights. There was a whole bunch of rules and regulations and then they threw in all these man-made rules and regulations and it got complicated real quick. And so all year... All of the nation of Israel, all of humanity would what? Try their hardest and just hope that they had done enough to be made right. This was the system. And so God would, and they were really hoping that God would just overlook their sin. Just kind of like, it wasn't like we take it for granted that our sins get washed away. Well, theirs didn't get washed away. It just got covered for another year. It really what happened was it just kept getting kind of a, you know, like you get a bill in the mail and it has a due date. The due date just got moved a year forward and a year forward and a year. But those sins kept accumulating. And so what would happen, and this is, so once a year, the high priest, the Bible says, would go into the very most holy place. And he would take the sacrifice of bulls and of goats. He would take the blood into this one spot. So one person, one time a year got to go in the presence of God. And if everything was done exactly to the T, correct? He would walk out and they knew, hey, that bill got forwarded another year. But what would happen if they didn't do everything right? The priest died, dropped dead right there. Can you imagine? Like just put yourself in the people of Israel's spot. You're like, man, I think we did everything good. I sure hope we did. Let's pray for the priest. 
come on, baby, come on out. And then they would put, now this is, now you can go study this stuff if you choose. They would put bells on the hem of their robe. Why? Because when he fell, if he died, and they knew. Now, no one else could even go in there and get him. So they would put a rope on his ankle, and they would literally just drag him out. I'm like, nope, we ain't going in there. And you think, am I next? I mean, the priest is better than me. If he died, what about me? And so you live in this constant back and forth with, is God happy? Is God not? Is he going to judge us? Like, what's going to happen? And they lived in this place for thousands of years. For roughly 4,000 years of human history is what they interacted with in this manner. But Jesus came to change the system. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he came to fulfill Like all that about the most holy place is that the Bible says that Jesus is our high priest, that he fulfilled everything perfectly once and for all. Where those Old Testament priests would what? Go in there and try to pass uh, sins forward a year, a year, a year. He says, no, I'm going to do it once and for all, for all the sins of all mankind, that what? That people could become righteous with God. This is the story of the gospel. And so Jesus sacrificed himself so that we being dead inside... And you say, well, I'm not dead, I'm alive. The Bible says that when we were born, that we were what? The descendants of Adam. And even though we were physically born, we were spiritually dead. We were born there. There's no alternative, there's no plan B, all of us. Let me say it another way. We were all born sinners. There's not one who, who is righteous or better or good or... No, we were all born into sin. And so Jesus sacrificed himself so that we being dead on the inside could come alive in him. He came to make us a new creation by resurrection power. That Jesus got out of the grave so that we could also get out of the grave. We may not have been physically in a grave, but we were dead men in bodies. There was no life on the inside of us. As a matter of fact, Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 says this. It says, the realm of death describes our former state for we were held in sin's grasp. It says, but now, but now we've been resurrected. We have been resurrected out of that realm of death never to return for we are forever alive and forgiven of all There's that word again, forgiven of all of our sins. I love verse 14. I just like the language of it. But he says here that he being Jesus canceled out every legal violation that you had on your record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict you. You ever gotten out of a ticket? That's a good day, isn't it? I mean, man, it's a good day. There was a time in my life where that happened. I haven't gotten out of many. In the last, I guess grace has run out for me in that area of my life. And, uh, but man, it was always a, a good day when a police officer would pull me over and be like, hey, just slow it down. Oh man, you're my hero. Like, like holy cow. Now they just bring me souvenirs, you know, so I get to take those. And... No, but the Bible here says that Jesus canceled every legal violation against us. It says that he erased it all, our sins and our stained soul. It says he deleted it all and they cannot be retrieved. 
Now notice what it says. It doesn't just say that our sin was forgiven. It says that even our stained soul, the shame and the guilt of our past mistakes, the blood of Jesus will wipe away. You know, a number of years ago, Dara had some computer issues. And so I told her I could fix it. And she was real, you know, she's like, hey, I hadn't backed up my computer. I'm like, girl, I've been telling you for years, back up your computer. And she didn't do it. And I'm like, look, I can fix it. Don't worry about it. You're not going to lose anything because she had years of work. On, she used to do a bunch of graphic design stuff. and all that. She had all this artwork and all this stuff. And so I was like, I'll fix it. And long story short, I wiped the computer clean. The information was never found. She was not happy with me. And to this day, we don't know where it is. Completely disappeared. Wiped the computer completely clean. And she was like in the middle of projects and she had to redo all this stuff. And, you know... It, it, But that's what it says here, is that Jesus erased it all and it cannot be retrieved. No matter how hard I tried, and I tried really hard to find the data. Because I was like, oh, it's still on the hard drive, it's just not showing it. I can figure it out. I, I bought programs, I did all this stuff. It could not be retrieved. In Christ, neither can our sin. It's been completely wiped away. Now, the devil will try to accuse you and try to remind you, and that's where you need to keep him in check. The Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren. He's going to come and make accusations against you, but you need to remind him, oh, that's an old man. I'm a new person in Christ. Like, you can go take that bill to somebody else because that dude's dead. I'm a new creation. It goes on and it says that everything that we once were in Adam has, was placed on his cross and has been permanently nailed there as a public display of cancellation. Man, that's some good news right there. It's forever, for all of eternity, our sins are forgiven. Not because of us, but because of Christ. In John 14, uh, Jesus talking to the disciples said this, and I love this because as I said earlier, his resurrection also is makes it possible for us to come alive. He says this here. And he says, soon I will leave this world and they will no longer see me or see me no longer. But you will see me because I will live again. And here's the second part. And you will come alive too. Now the people he's talking to, were they dead? Were they breathing? Like these, these were people he was talking to, not statues. And he said, you will come alive too. And they're probably thinking like, I thought I was already alive. Like, what are you talking about? But remember, we were born dead in our souls and our spirits. So Jesus continues and says, So when that day comes, you will know that I am the, with, or know that I am living in the Father, and that you are, you are one with me, for I will be living in you. Used to, God lived in that most holy place, and that was it. When Jesus, the Bible says, breathed his last breath that the curtain that was very thick says that it was ripped from the top to the bottom and this is the way i say it in my mind it's the way i view it is that god said i will no longer be confined to the box of this temple that i'm going to move into the hearts of men and women and it's exactly what jesus says here is that i will be what living in you now we know second corinthians five seventeen. for if any man be in christ he's a new creation behold all things are passed away behold all things have become new and here's what i would encourage you today if you're going to experience the newness of christ you're going to have to let go of some old you can't hold both 
You've got to be willing to let go of some things to grab hold of the new. And sometimes we can hold on to our past because we're like, well, but, you know, I've got this attachment to these things and this is part of who I am. Not according to scripture anymore. And identity is maybe one of the most important issues of any believer. Is who do I identify with? This old man or this new man? Who do, who's my identity with? And so it goes on here in verse 21. And it says, of St. Corinthians 5, it says, For God made the only one, one, only one, who did not know sin to become sin for us. I've highlighted these two words, become, because Jesus became everything that we deserved so that we could, what, become everything that he is. It says that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that, or for the purpose of, that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. That I would know what it's like to be righteous. I've already shared a little bit with you about what righteous means. What it means is I have no reason to be afraid before God. None. Why? Because I realize that I've been fully accepted. Not perfect, accepted. I don't have to be perfect to be accepted. You don't have to be perfect to be accepted. No, Jesus became sin so that we could be accepted. So how do we respond to this? Romans chapter 6 verse 13 says that we are to passionately answer God's call to keep yielding your body. I don't really like that translation, how it words it. I like how it starts off because it says that we're to passionately answer God. We ought to be happy about being a Christian. Why? Because I realize what Jesus has done for me. And man, there ought to be passion to my worship. There ought to be passion to my life and following after him. But here's the key, because what happens many times is that people can have the thought or the understanding, well, I prayed the sinner's prayer and I'm good. That's it. Like, that's the end of the story, all right? My, my sins are forgiven. I'm going to heaven. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let me go live my life. But here the Bible says, in the New Living, I like the way it words it a little bit. It says, um, Passionately answer God's call to what? To give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead. And here the Passion Translation says, keep yielding what? Yourself. See, salvation is not a one-time decision. It's not a one-time prayer. It's a continual process of repeatedly submitting myself, submitting myself, surrendering my heart, surrendering my will to God. And what? So that what? It's a continual process. It's not just a one-time deal. And it goes on, it says that if we'll keep yielding to him, that we will be one who has now experienced resurrection life. Like the Bible says that we can experience the resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead. But the only way to do that is by what? To continually yield myself to God. To continually come to the Lord and say, is there anything in my life that that doesn't please you? And sometimes that can be hard and we can be frustrated by that. But I've got good news is that even in my own life and even from scripture, I could show you this. That any time that God points out an area of my life that is not pleasing to him, he also gives me the ability and the power to overcome it. It's not left to me to be like, well, I got to figure that one out. 
Like, no, I've just got to what? Tap into that resurrection life that I can now walk in. See, in 1 Peter, he gives us some instructions about how to live as followers of Christ, as those who, who, who profess to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. So 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3, he says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that it is by his great mercy that we have been born again because Christ was raised from the dead. See, it wasn't enough that Jesus just died the death of the cross. He also had needed to be raised to life. Why? Because we needed to be raised to life. He was the firstborn of many who would be resurrected. And we should all, and God desires that we would all have our own resurrection story. That there's a point in our life and the point of the calendar of our life. That there's a definite moment that says that Jesus showed up and that my life changed in this moment. And so there's the pre-Jesus life and the post-Jesus life. And they shouldn't look that similar. And coming to church is not a relationship with Jesus. It can help us in our relationship with him, but it is not our relationship with Jesus. So I'm thankful that you came to church on Easter, but I'm just telling you, that is not salvation. Salvation is accepting Jesus as the Lord of our life, surrendering who we are. Why? Because he has something better. And sometimes in our mind, we can have the thought that says, oh, well, I don't want to give up this or I don't want to give up that. God always has something better on the other side of our sacrifice. Always. You never lose with God. Ever. So it is God's great mercy. Earlier I told you that grace is getting what you don't, don't deserve. Well, grace is the flip side of that. I'm sorry, mercy is the flip side. It's not getting what you do deserve. I deserved the death of the cross. Why? Because I was a sinful man. I'm not perfect today. But perfection's not the goal. Being Christ-like is the goal. Being formed and shaped and molded into the image of Christ is the goal. But it's God's great mercy that allows me to even do that. It goes on here and it says, gives us some instructions. It says that now we live. Now. Not one day, not one day when we're in heaven, not one day when we get there. Right now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and, dec and decay. And through your faith. Remember earlier I told you. I share with you in Romans where it says, because of Christ and your faith, right? You can have resurrection life. Here we see it again. And through your faith, through your trust, your reliance upon the Lord. Through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation. Now, it doesn't mean, because I understand you can read that and say, well, I already thought I was saved. The Bible says we have a down payment of our salvation we've not experienced the fullness yet paul actually said it this way he says hey you need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling the way i like to say it is we need to work in salvation into every part of our life 
Why? Because the price has been paid. Salvation is available. God's not withholding anything from you. It's fully available, but we got to what? Let go of some old ways of thinking, some old mentality, some old processes, some old ways of doing things. Why? Because God wants to work. And the Bible says that we are protected by his power until we receive this full uh, salvation, which he says is, is already ready to be revealed in the last day to all, for all to see. So as I'm wrapping up this morning, I want you to know Easter is more than a moment. It's more than a day on the calendar. There's real life to be experienced, not dead religion. Religion will always lead you to death. And you're like, well, what's religion? It's God without relationship. That's what religion is. It's, well, I'm going to try to do this. I'm going to try to do that. And I'm going to do these things and I'm going to make my way to God. And I'm going to do all the, that's religion. And guess what? It's dead. That's the old covenant way of living. It's the Old Testament. And God says, hey, there's no life in that. And so Jesus is going to come so that we can actually experience resurrection life. This is the reason that Christ came. This is how he changed the story for every one of us. Because I'm not just looking at my past and judging myself based off of my past. I'm looking into the past and looking at the cross, looking to the Savior who says that I am forgiven and that all of my mistakes, past, present, future, all of my sin, all of the junk of my life, Jesus says, I am enough. I am enough. My blood is powerful enough. And what I did for you on the cross was complete, thorough, done. That's why on the cross he said, it is finished. What was he referring to? The price that had to be paid for sin. And that's great news for us. Because the enemy will try to convince us that we're somebody other than who Jesus says we are. And I want to leave you with a question this morning. It's who do you believe that you are that God has never told you? What do you believe about yourself? What lie have you bought into that the devil keeps whispering into your heart saying that you're flawed, you're messed up. One day you're going to get exposed. One day this is going to happen. All those kind of little thoughts that come. The devil comes in stealth, man. He, he's slick. He's quick. That's his greatest weapon is stealth. And he'll try to convince us that there are thoughts that he's placed into our mind and get us to convince ourselves that those are our thoughts. No, that's the devil whispering. And we have to identify by the cross of Christ that says, no, I'm not that person anymore. I'm a new creation in Christ. Old things are gone. They're wiped away, man. That hard drive has been deleted, wiped clean completely. The devil can try, but he can't remind He can't pull it back up. Not before the Lord. Because even if he tried, Jesus is going to say, hey, I already paid for that. Oh, that's covered too. Oh, that, yeah, that one's already covered too. Yep, got that one. Yep, got that one. Oh, yeah, I know that one too. But yeah, it's covered. See, that's the beauty of Easter. It's the beauty of the story of the gospel. That Jesus was resurrected so that we could come alive. So this morning, I want to pray over you.